John 16 and verse 16. Okay, Jesus says, A little while, and you shall not see me. And again a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Now, he's speaking as a man there. Okay? So he is the Father, but he's speaking as a man. He's going to go back to the Father in that sense. Okay? And when he makes that statement, verse 17, Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us, A little while, and you shall not see me? And again, a little while, and you shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They didn't understand what he meant by that. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while, we cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said? A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. You shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father, in my name he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, that the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me, and hath believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world, and go to the Father. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverbs. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Amen. It's awesome, isn't it? Okay. Verse 1, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. 
as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So he says there the Father gave him the disciples. He received then something from the Father. Uh, we will talk about that a little bit as we get to that point, all right? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you, Lord God, for all that you have done for us. We ask God that your anointing rest upon us, that you would inspire us to declare this truth to this house. Lord, we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive this word. Lord Jesus, we give you all glory, honor, and praise tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message tonight is The Proverb of the Exalted Name. The Proverb of the Exalted Name. You may be seated. In order for us to understand what is going on in the passages before us, we need to realize that the disciples that followed Jesus and those people who were familiar with the coming of the Messiah looked for the coming of a king Messiah. And when they read the Old Testament prophets in relationship to the coming of the Messiah, for some reason it, they could not grasp the facts or the reality that he would be a suffering Messiah. So that when the Messiah comes, their whole anticipation is that he would be a reigning monarch, a reigning king Messiah. And so when Jesus talks about suffering, he talks about dying, even though it was recorded in the Old Testament prophets, his disciples, because they did not understand those prophecies about the suffering Messiah, did not understand what he was talking about when he's talking about leaving them or dying, etc., because they could not understand that the Messiah, as the prophet said, was going to suffer and not just be a king. They could not understand a suffering Messiah, even though the scriptures had said that he would suffer. So when he talks about leaving them and going away, he talks about dying, etc., they still don't understand this concept of him dying and suffering. So when we come to verse 16 in this chapter, he is telling them again. He says, a little while and you shall not see me. That is Calvary. He's going to die. When he dies on the cross, okay? Y'all with me so far? They're not going to see him at that time when he dies. So that's the time frame. A little while you shall not see me, and again, a little while and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. So he's letting them know there's coming a time, you're not going to see me. That's Calvary. And then he says, there's a time that's coming, you're going to see me. That's the resurrection. Okay? Are you all with me here? <clears throat> but he's speaking a parable, a proverb. So there's more to it than just his death and his resurrection. When he says, a little while you will not see me, and after a little while, you will see me. It is his death, Calvary, and it is his resurrection. 
It's also talking about His second coming. Okay? It's also talking about His birth pains before Messiah, which is the tribulation period which will take place before His second coming. So right now, we don't see Him physically, do we? But He's going to come back and we're going to see Him again when He sets up the kingdom age. But before He sets up the kingdom age, the second coming, there's going to be a time of great sorrow for His disciples. So there's two things going on in the passage. First of all, He's talking about His suffering and death and then His resurrection. He will be seen at the time of the resurrection after His death. So we have Calvary and then after Calvary. And then it is prophetic of your suffering, the birth pains of Messiah in the tribulation period, the suffering of the disciples before He comes back and the disciples see Him at that point. You with me so far? So He's speaking to them. They still don't understand what He's talking about. That a little while they will not see Him. And again, a little while you shall see Me because I go to the Father. Verse 17. So, did said some of the disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and you shall not see me. So they're starting to ask the question, What does he mean by this? Okay. And again, a little while, and you shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They don't understand what is going on here. Verse 18, They said, Therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while, we cannot tell what he saith. To them, it's a riddle. To them, it's a parable. To them, it's a proverb, what he's speaking, okay? Verse 19, Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves that I said a little while, and you shall not see me and again a little while, and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. So he's explaining to them in connection to, you know, he said, you're, you're going to see me, you're not going to see me, then you're going to see me again. You're not going to see me, Calvary, you're going to see me again, resurrection. But then he's telling them, you're going to enter into a time of sorrow, of pain, okay? And that pain is when you see him taken and crucified on the cross. It's going to break their hearts, these disciples' hearts, when they see Him crucified and put to death. Okay? But He says, the world is going to rejoice. Because in their mind, when they take Jesus and nail Him to that cross, they're getting rid of this man. They are getting rid In their mind, He is a false prophet. In their mind, He is an imposter. In their mind, he is one that they want to be done away with. They want to be rid of. So the world's view of Jesus Christ, once they kill him and crucify him, they're going to rejoice over the fact that this man is now dead and hopefully he is out of the way. Okay. So we have the disciples have tremendous sorrow and pain and grief over his death, but the world is rejoicing because they think that he is out of their way. Okay? So don't ever think that the world loves Jesus Christ. In the world system, it doesn't matter if it's the religious world system or the economical world system or the political world system. 
Everything that's a part of the world system hates Jesus Christ. They may talk religiously about Him. They make reference, may make reference to Him. They may say nice things about Him. But ultimately, if they are part of the world system, they want Him to be dead. They don't want Him to be alive. And that's why a lot of times when you go to different churches, you will see a cross, oftentimes in the back of the church, and Jesus is still on the cross. That's where the church world wants Him. You see? Because as long as He stays on the cross, they don't have to be accountable to Him. You see? Because a dead Jesus doesn't require anything from you. But you take Him off the cross, right? Now you have to become accountable to Him and now He's your Lord. So a lot of churches that you go to, you will see that cross with Him still hanging on that cross because that's where they want Him. They will tell you that they're just, you know, memorializing His death. That is a lie. It's not just about them memorializing His death. They want Him on that cross. Long time ago, a good friend of mine went to a church that I was going to before I got into Pentecost. And uh, the church that I was going to had one of those crosses with Jesus nailed to it up there in the very front of the church. And my good friend didn't know much about God, but he asked me one question. He says, why do they still have Jesus hanging on the cross? You understand? Because the world, the world system, religion, economics, political, all the whole world system is against the Christ of God. It wants Him nailed to a cross. And it rejoices over the fact that He is nailed to a cross. So Jesus is telling them the world's going to rejoice. Okay? But you're going to be heartbroken. Why? Because they are His followers. They are believers in Him. So the contrast to the world system and then the true disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. Say amen. So watch. He goes on. Look at this. Verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye, that ye shall weep and lament, Calvary, but the world shall rejoice, Calvary. And ye shall be sorrowful, Calvary, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy after Calvary. Resurrection. When they see Him resurrected from the dead, but not only that, on the day of Pentecost, when they receive the paraclete, His Spirit that He's been talking about to them, on the day of Pentecost, when they receive His Spirit, they get filled with the Holy Ghost, and there is tremendous joy and rejoicing and speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost when they receive the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand? Okay. The Bible says in verse 21, he goes on and explains further. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow. All right? She's going through birth pains. Correct? Okay. Jesus Christ, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to suffer. Like a woman suffers in birth pains. He's going to die on that cross. The Messiah is going to suffer the hands of men. Do you understand this so far? You understand it? Okay. So we have two things happening here. We have the suffering of the Messiah. 
we have the suffering of the man-child on the cross. Okay? But after Calvary, when he's resurrected from the dead, he is called the firstborn or the first begotten from the dead. So after his time of suffering, okay, then he's going to come out of the grave like a woman giving birth to a man-child. All right? It also has to do with the fact that there's going to be seven years of tribulation period known as the birth pangs of the Messiah, which means this seven-year tribulation period, this time of suffering for his disciples. And it's going to be for them like a woman in birth pains. Amen? And I personally believe that we're already beginning to see it, see it right now. And, and a lot of that, a lot of the suffering for the church is not necessarily going to be physical. There will be some people that will be martyred for Jesus Christ in the birth pains of Messiah. Birth pains, P-A-N-G, not birth pain. Birth pains. The word pains means childbirth or labor. Okay? So the tribulation period that's going to come upon the world is like birth pains. It's like a woman uh, in labor pains. Okay? And it's called the birth pains of the Messiah, which means before Messiah comes back and is seen, there will be this time of birth pains that will precede His coming. That's why it's called the birth pains of the Messiah. So there's two things happening in the passage. It's, it's a prophecy of His death on the cross, and then He's going to be the first begotten from the dead. It's like a birth coming out of the grave, okay? And then he's talking about how that the disciples will go through a time of suffering before he comes back. That's the birth pains of the Messiah before he comes. And the trouble, the tribulation the church is going to go through, the true believer, is not just physical. What's going to happen is there's going to be a mass apostasy out of the church. There will be a mass exodus of people out of the church. And when the true body of Christ begins to witness and see this mass exodus, this great falling away that's going to come upon the world, it's going to create great anguish and great uh, birth pains or trouble on the inside of the church. So there's going to be a lot of things going on. There's going to be suffering from the hands of the world and there's going to be heavy apostasy, a falling away. Okay? So Jesus is telling us this for a reason. In the disciples' day, they will see Him die. They will see the suffering of the Messiah, which they could not understand. They were looking for a Messiah King. But He's telling them He's going to go away. He's going to die. There's going to be suffering that's going to come. And then they're going to see Him again. There's going to be great rejoicing. They're going to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But He's letting them know the tribulation is coming for the church. And the church is going to enter into that time of suffering like the world has never seen before. Did you hear what I said? You are not going to escape the tribulation period. Jesus does not tell you in this passage. It's not recorded in anywhere in the Bible. In the Gospels, in the Epistles, or the book of Revelation. It is not recorded that you will escape the tribulation period. It tells you the disciples will go through that time of anguish and that time of suffering before He comes back visibly. And at that point, we will rejoice. So I will advise you today, 
I feel in my spirit, I don't know what's going on. Because I've never been through a time like I've been through uh, myself in recent days. Uh, I really can't put my finger on it other than to tell you, you better make sure you got to walk with God. Because there's huge deception, deceptive spirits out there. There's delusional spirits out there. There's this apostasy that Jesus already said is going to come upon the church in the last days. So we better know what we believe. We better know where we stand because He said it's coming. Okay? And there's something going on right now in the Spirit. There's a heaviness. Okay? There's a, and that's what Lord tribulation means. It means to have a stone stacked upon your chest. Big old heavy stone until ultimately this presses the life out of you. He said that's what's going to happen to you. It's going to be a pressure. Like a stone on top of you. Pressing the life out of you. Before he comes back. Okay? But the good news is he's coming back. And when he does come back. When we make it through that time of birth pains of Messiah. We're going to rejoice. And Revelation 12 talks about. We see this woman in Revelation chapter 12. She's heavy with child. Okay? She's clothed with the sun. The moon is under her feet. She's got a crown of 12 stars upon her head. And the Bible talks about this woman is heavy with a man child. Okay? Are y'all here with me now? And that woman, that is a picture of the church in the time of tribulation before Messiah comes back. And when Messiah comes back, that's the birthing of the man child out of the church. Does that make sense? That's what it represents is that the church has gone through that time of suffering. She's heavy with the man-child. She's looking for the coming of the Messiah. And Messiah comes back at the end of the tribulation period. So the church then can rejoice because Messiah has come back and they have made it through that time of the birth pains of the Messiah. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So he's speaking here very, very deep things. Okay. So, do you understand the twofold application here? I really don't have time to get into all the prophetic significance of it. He talks about that tribulation period is like the birth pains. Y'all remember that, right? Matthew chapter 24, the signs, the time, etc. Okay, so anyway. So, verse 21, he's telling his disciples, verse again, a woman when she's in travail has sorrow. Because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. Ultimately, it's talking about the coming of the Messiah. Okay? Unto us a, chi a child is born, a son is given. Thou shalt call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right? How many of y'all remember that passage in Isaiah 9? A child is born, son is given. Wonderful counsel, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what it's talking about, the birthing of the man-child. That's Jesus Christ coming back. The man of peace, the Messiah, the King. You understand? Okay. Watch. I'll read it to you again. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour has come. He's speaking in parables here. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. 
So he's going to go and die on that cross and suffer, and it's going to break the heart of the disciples, but he's going to be resurrected three on the third day, and they're going to see him again. And when they see him again, they're going to rejoice because he's the firstborn, the first begotten from the dead. Now listen carefully. The reason why he's telling them is this, is that when he dies, he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. You know what that means? Well, we think, yeah, the devil, when it comes against us, it's not going to overcome us. But there's more to the passage than, you know, interpreting it that way. Saying, well, the devil is going to come against the church, but, you know, the gates of hell, the council of hells cannot overcome the church. There's more to it than that. We know the devil can't overcome God's church. What he's telling you there in an ultimate sense is that when you die and you go into the underworld, those that underworld can't keep you. Listen to me carefully. If you follow Jesus in death, if you are faithful in your following of the Lord, because He died and rose again from the dead, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. If you follow Him in death, if you are completely faithful to Him to the point of dying for Him, He's given you a hope by example that the grave can't keep you if they kill you because you follow Kim. Did you hear what I said? So it says the gates of hell should not prevail against the church. It's not that just the devils are not going to overcome us. It means that if you die and you go into the underworld. Your body goes into the grave. Because you have died for him. He's already come out. He's already suffered. He already went through the agony of the cross. Okay. And he rose again the third day. So if you die, guess what? If you die, if you're martyred for Him, the grave can't keep you. It can't hold you. You're coming out. So there's a lot going on in the passage here. He's talking about His death on that cross and His ultimate victory out of the grave. It's like being birthed out of the grave and how the disciples are going to rejoice in that. But He's letting them know that when they go through the time called the birth pains of Messiah, and then he comes back and sets up his kingdom in the third millennium. He rises on the third day, but he sets up his kingdom in the third millennium. Or at the beginning of the third thousandth year. Go with me. 2001, 2002, that's the beginning of the third millennium. Are y'all with me? So we're close right now to the beginning of the third millennium. If we're not already in it. Time wise. So there's a lot of parallels that are going on here. So that if you suffer in the birth pains of Messiah and you die the hands of men when you're going through that time of great pressure, and it's not going to be easy, I'm going to tell you right now. If you and I can't make it right now, you will never make it. You will not make it with what's going to come because the pressure is going to get heavier. The persecution's going to get stronger. It's going to get tough. There's going to be apostasy. There's going to be backsliding. Are y'all with me? Because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall grow cold. So he's telling you as a disciple that you're going to have to follow him possibly all the way into death. But if you die for him, the grave can't hold you. Because when he comes back at the beginning of the third millennium to set up his kingdom, to set up his kingdom, 
Birth pains precede the kingdom age being set up. And if you go into death because you were faithful unto death, just like he came out, you're coming out too. So there's a parable here. There's prophetic parallelism here that he's speaking about. Prophetically, and we've taught this to, to you through the years, so you're very familiar with prophecy. If you haven't been here when we were teaching that, we've got the tapes, CDs available. You can get them on the book of Daniel, on the book of Revelation, on First uh, and Second Thessalonians, and all the prophets. We've covered them all. There's not one that we haven't taught. So if you have not been here when we taught them, you can get them. Praise the Lord. I'm not trying to sell them to you. I'm just telling you they are available to you. Praise God. All right, so he's getting into some very deep prophetic proverbs here. It's beautiful, isn't it? First, in relationship to his death and resurrection, and then, secondarily, the birth pangs that the church will go through, and then his second coming after that, birth pangs of Messiah, and he resurrects the dead at that point. Time of great rejoicing. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So I'm just telling you right now, I wish I could give you better news, but it's going to get a lot harder than it is right now. You, you, you have to just come to the realization right now. You think you're under pressure. You think it's hard right now. You think it's tough right now. It is only going to get more difficult. And I really believe, honestly, that it's the grace of God that is allowing us to enter in a time of pressure right now. It is His grace. Because if it came on us all at once, it'd blow us away. We would not, I don't believe we'd be able to handle it. So He's allowing the disappointments. He's allowing the persecution. He's allowing things to happen to you right now on the inside of you, in your mind and in your spirit, so that when these things get worse, birth things the Messiah, you will make it through it. And if you got to die for Him, you'll be at the place. You will be at the place. You'll go through so much pressure on the inside of your mind and your heart and your spirit that death will look good to you. You'll invite it. Okay? Uh, you don't have to believe me. I'm just giving you my, that's my opinion tonight. Okay? But there's heaviness. There's a great, great pressure on you right now. In the spirit, there is. It's just a pressurization. Look around and see the signs. Okay? But don't just look in the world. Look in the church. You know how hard it is? see somebody backside of the church, especially if they're your family. You know what you're going through. Yeah, you don't have to tell me. I know what you're going through. All right, but what about you? Are you going to be faithful to God to the end? Are you, if it means dying for Him? He said there's going to be a great falling away. He didn't say it's going to be just a few people in the church. A great apostasy. A great falling away before He comes back. I don't want to fulfill that prophecy. See, there's some prophecies in this Bible that I don't want to fulfill. I don't want to fulfill that prophecy of a backslidden apostate. Are y'all here with me now? But the Lord told you at the beginning of the year that we have got to be in prayer. And the Lord told you that there are people at the beginning of the year that were in the church that would not be here at the end of the year. The Lord told you that. So God doesn't leave us blind, but it's still difficult. So you better know where you stand. 
You, you, you got to get this word on the inside of you and understand the Lord is telling you're going to suffer. You're going to go through birth pains like a woman in travail. And I've never had a child. You know, I've, I've, I've got a girl and a boy, but I didn't have them. I mean, they're my son and my daughter. My wife had them, literally gave birth to them. I don't know what kind of pain that is, but any woman that's been through that can tell you that, you know, it was, it was a horrible, horrible pain and suffering. Jesus said that's what it's going to be like in the end times. And that's what it's going to be like when they nail Jesus to the cross. They're going to, the disciples are going to go into great, great pain. Great suffering. He said, but you're going to see me again and that sorrow is going to be turned to joy. And the sorrow you've gone through is going to be forgotten. It's going to be forgotten because the child has been born. So those of you ladies who have literally given birth to children, after you get the baby, all that pain you just went through, you forgot it. You don't remember it. Am I right? Is that right, Sister Christina? Maybe not instantly, but. <laughs> okay, so the Lord is telling us here. He's telling his disciples they're going to go through a time of great suffering. The world is going to rejoice. The world is going to persecute you. They crucified the Christ of God. They nailed him to an old rugged cross. The world wasn't expecting a suffering Messiah. The disciples weren't. They were looking for the king to come. Say praise the Lord. Do you understand what he's saying? I told you the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John is probably the hardest chapter in the New Testament. It may be the hardest chapter in the whole Bible. Alright? So y'all pray for me. Now watch. Now listen to what he says. Verse 22. Are you with me here? The days of Calvary. The time of suffering. The time of anguish. Resurrection, the time of rejoicing, the time of joy. Okay? Birth pains of Messiah, the time of suffering, his second coming, the time of rejoicing, the Messiah is coming. You see that? Watch. Now, in verse 22. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice. And your joy no man taketh from you. You see that, that phrase, a little while? How long is this little while? For them it was three days between Calvary and His resurrection. For us it's been over 2,000, almost what? 2,000 years since His death. Almost 2,000 years since His death. But He says that's a little while. But you're going to see Him again. In God's eyes, 2,000 years is a little while. He doesn't tell them how long. He just says a little while. You understand? Verse 22, I'll read again. And you know, now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. Okay? They're literally going to go through that time. At the time at when he dies, he's going to rise from the dead. But it's also speaking of the future coming of Jesus Christ after the church makes it through that hard time of tribulation. Your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man take it from you. Now watch this, 23. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. In what day? The day that they're rejoicing. 
Did you, did you catch it? So he's talking about a time that's the time of Calvary. And he's talking about the time of their joy. And then he says, In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, He will give it you. You understand? How I many you understand what He just said? Lift your hand. Do you understand what He just said? In that day, after, at the time of His uh, resurrection, at the time of their rejoicing, He said, you will ask me nothing. But whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. So now He's moving after Calvary during the time of their celebration, the time of His resurrection. Amen? And He says something's going to change. Something is going to happen. You're going to start calling upon my name. You are going to start using my name. He said, up to this point, you have never called on my name. You have never prayed in my name. You've never cast out devils in his name. You've never remitted anybody's sins in his name. But after the resurrection, watch this, because of his death and because of his resurrection, something is going to change. You're going to start praying in the name of Jesus. You're going to be asking in the name of Jesus. Something happened because of His death. Something has happened after His death. Something has changed now. See, up to that point, they have been relying on Him. He's casting out devils, right? Now, of course, yes, they went forth in some places and cast out demons, but they didn't say, in the name of Jesus, come out. They weren't using the name of Jesus that way before Calvary, before He died. Amen? They were completely and totally relying on Him to cast out the devils. They were relying on Him to heal the sick. Not one time did they ever use the name of Jesus to cast out the de devils and, and heal the sick. But something's going to change. He's speaking, a parable. He's speaking parables to them. Something's going to happen in that day of what? The time of their joy. The time of their celebration. Beyond Calvary. Beyond His death. Something has changed. Something is different. Give God praise. said, you're going to be able to pray in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is going to be exalted. Because of His death. Woo. You're going to see it. Now watch. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. What does He mean? In that day you shall ask me nothing. You're going to pray in His name. You're with me? Verily, by, verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, He will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. 
He said, up to this point, before Calvary, you have asked nothing in my name. Woo, glory to God. Are y'all awake tonight? Okay, here we go. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. He's telling him what's going to happen after his death. Okay? Verse 26. Oh, 25. Listen carefully. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, riddles, veil speech, hidden speech. Okay? Figurative language. Okay? You with me? They couldn't understand what he was talking about because he was speaking to them figuratively. He was speaking to them with veiled language. He did it for a reason. He had to speak like that. Watch. Got to build on this a little bit at a time. These things have I spoken to you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. See, before this, if you'll notice, okay, he said the works I do, they're not my works, they're the Father's. The Father's works. He's the one that's doing the miracles. The Father's the one that's doing the miracles. The words that I speak, they're not mine. He said they're the Father's words. You with me so far? So he's going through the world as a servant. And he's, everything he does, he points to an invisible spirit called the Father. As a man, he receives no glory. As a man, he receives no honor. Are y'all here? He is operating as a servant. So when he speaks, it sounds like he's talking about another person. He has to talk like that because he's in the role of the Servant. You understand? He's in the humble role of the man Christ Jesus. The servant role. And therefore, in that servant role, that humble role, as the man Christ Jesus, here in the earth, fulfilling the purpose of the Father, He never receives glory as a servant. He's always speaking of that invisible spirit and giving glory to the Father. Hey, it's the Father that's doing the works. It's the Father that, it's the Father's words, you know. And so, people think, well, they never understood who He really was. He came in this world, He walked and talking, casting out demons, doing signs, miracles, and wonders. And, and they just didn't really have a revelation of who He was because He kept talking about His Father. And He kept giving glory to the Father. That makes sense? But he said, there's coming a time when I'm no longer going to speak to you in veiled language, riddle form. He said, I'm going to show you plainly of the Father. So there will come a time when he will no longer say, my Father. He will say, I say. 
Are y'all with me? He said, I'm going to show you plainly the Father. After the resurrection, basically, when you look at me, you're looking at God. Now, he gave them glimpses of it in John chapter 14 when he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So they got a glimpse of it. But after Calvary, after his death, come on, somebody. He's no longer going to give glory to an invisible spirit. He's going to show them plainly the Father. No more veiled language. No more riddles. Look at me. If you want to see the Father, look at me. If you want to see God, look at me. Watch. Now, now, after Calvary, I can receive your worship. Now, after Calvary, I can receive glory. But before His death, before Calvary, He glorified the Father. He said, the Father, He doeth the Word. It's the words of the Father. So it was a parable like, where is the Father? He keeps speaking about the Father. He had to, because He's fulfilling the role of a servant. Not taking any glory for Himself. They're not praying in the name of Jesus. There are hundreds of babies at the time that Jesus was born that was called, their name were called Jesus. Hundreds of babies that had the name of Jesus. Are y'all here now? Oh yeah. But something's going to happen after the cross to His name. His name is going to be the highest name in the universe. You going to see what I'm talking about now? You understand what I'm trying to show you? Up to this point, you see, a lot of people don't understand the Godhead because when they read the Bible, it says it sounds like he's speaking to us, the first person, you know, and then he makes reference to, they say, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Ghost. It's parables. Are you with me? And, he, and before Calvary, he has to speak like a servant. He has to point to the Father. He has to give up the glory to the invisible Spirit. Do you understand that? But after Calvary, something's going to change. He's going to receive worship. He said, I'll show you plainly the Father. I, not me, not, not Jerry Carter. I'm, I'm using this as a... When you look, you say, when you look at me, you're seeing God. When you look at me, you see, I'm showing you plainly the Father. Are y'all with me now? Wow. Something's going to happen now with the name. Up to that point, they have not prayed in the name. They haven't cast out demons in the name. They haven't healed sick, the sick in the name of Jesus. He's been doing all of that. And the disciples have not used His name. Okay. There is no remission of sins in the name of Jesus before Calvary. Not until His blood is shed. And then His blood will be in His name. When He sheds His blood at Calvary, now the blood is in the name. So when you use the name, it remits sin. Nobody's sin was remitted before Calvary because the blood had not been shed yet. Something is going to happen after Calvary. Something is about to change after Calvary. He said, I will no longer speak to you in Proverbs. Riddles. Veiled speech. He said, I'm going to show you plainly the Father. He said, well, you, you're going to ask in my name. You're going to pray in my name. Oh, give God praise in the house. 
So now you understand the reason why it sounded like he's talking to, about somebody else different from himself. He had to in the servant role. But not after Calvary. After Calvary, something's going to be more plain. It's going to be plainer than it was before. They're going to have an understanding and a revelation that they didn't have before. After Calvary. Say praise the Lord. Verse 26. At that day. This is after Calvary. This is the day of their time. The time of their rejoicing. At that day you shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you. I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loved you. Because you have loved me. And have believed that I came out from God as a man. I came forth from the Father. And am come into the world. Again I leave the world. And go to the Father. Speaking as a man. Correct? You understand that? Isn't that beautiful? Now, let's go over here. Uh, Matthew 28. Twenty-eight nineteen. 19. The Bible says, now watch. This is, when is 28, 19? After the resurrection, right? Okay. Some will show you. Something has changed after the resurrection. Okay? I think I'll start with verse 16. 28, 16 to Matthew. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Now remember, this is after His resurrection. Okay? Before His death and... Well, the time of His resurrection, His death and His resurrection, He told them, I'm going to meet you on a particular mountain. He said, you go to that mountain and I'll meet you right there. Correct? You got it? Say amen. So the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they what? Worshipped him. Something has changed after Calvary. So that now, instead of giving glory to the invisible spirit, as a man, as a servant, now he's receiving worship. See, you, you see, up to this point, he has not received glory. But now he's receiving glory. He's receiving worship after Calvary. I'm telling you, something has changed. He's showing them plainly the Father and he's receiving worship as the Father. He's receiving glory now. But before Calvary, He was always giving glory to the Father and would not take on glory Himself. And I feel God all over me tonight. Now watch. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power... All power, there's two words for power that, that are familiar to you. One is dunamis. Acts 1 and 8 says you shall receive dunamis or you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Say dunamis. Dynamic force. When the Holy Ghost comes on you, there's going to be a dynamic force that moves on you. 
There's going to be a power dunamis. It's like dynamite. It's going to be demonstrative when the Spirit is operating through you. Come on, somebody. It's going to take regular men and regular women and do something with them. Empower them with like dynamite, demonstrative type force that's coming on them. That's dunamis. But this word here is not dunamis. The Bible says, look at this, all power is given unto me. The word is exousia. It means authority. He says, all authority. Watch this. Remember, this is after Calvary. All authority is given unto me in heaven, the invisible realm, and in earth, the visible realm. He said, I have authority in both realms. He said, I have authority in the invisible realm, heaven, and I have authority in the visible realm, the earth. He's the only being, the only being in the whole universe that has authority in both realms like that. Absolute authority. Give God praise. Authority in both realms, heaven and earth. All. He didn't say part. He said all authority. Now, if he's the second person in the Godhead, that means the first person doesn't have any more authority. But you know better than that. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily, and now he's showing you plainly the Father. And because of Calvary, because of his death, he doesn't just have power in heaven or authority in heaven. Now he's got authority in the earth realm as well. Both realms. And he's telling them, you see something has happened? Something has changed now. And he's telling them, because he has all authority in heaven and in earth, go ye therefore. What that means is, because of, because he has all authority in both realms. He's the only being in the universe that has that kind of authority. And he says, because of that, go ye, watch this, therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? He's saying, because of this, go ye. Because of this, therefore. Or because of this, go ye. Because of what? Because he has authority in both realms. Heaven and earth. Go ye because of that revelation. Now watch. Verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Teach all nations that He's got authority in heaven and in earth. All authority. All power. Go and preach to all the nations that reality. Preach His death, His burial, His resurrection. Preach that He has authority in both realms. Preach His name. See, there's a lot of people that will preach His death, burial, and resurrection. But they don't preach that He has all authority. And they don't preach His name. Give God praise in the house. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name singular of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, because you know He has all authority in both realms, He says, now baptize in the name. Say in the name. You see, something has changed. The disciples before His death never prayed in His name. They didn't baptize in His name. But after His death, 
Something has happened on the cross. Now, what has Calvary produced? Calvary has produced. His death has produced. The fact in reality that He has authority in both realms at the same time. And because of that, go forth and preach that message to the whole world. And when you do, take His name and call that name over them in baptism. That is a part of the Gospel after Calvary. Now watch, Luke. Okay, hold your place right there in Matthew 28. Go to Luke 24. Luke 24, 47. Luke 24, 47. And that repentance, the same great commission, he says in that, okay, I'm going to go to verse 46. Really, 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 I need to go to 44 to keep it in the context of what I was telling you earlier. He said to them, this is, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it be who Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. He said it's in the Scriptures that the Messiah would, be, would suffer and what? Rise from the dead the what? Third day. He said, that was in the Scriptures. Now I'm giving you understanding. I'm teaching you. I'm bringing clarity to you about the Messiah was not just going to come as a king, but He's going to come as a, a Messiah that will suffer and die. Watch. Verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, remission of sins is located in His name. Give God praise in the house. I'm going back to Matthew now, 28. So He said in verse 19, Go ye therefore, because He has all authority in both realms, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name singular of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. What is the name? Jesus. What's it going to do? It's going to bring repentance and remission of sins. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Go to Philippians chapter 2. You thank God for the truth tonight? I thank God for this truth tonight. You, You'll never get me to believe that doctrine is preached by the charismatics this hour. No, 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 no. This is a name which is above every name. It is an elevated name. It's an exalted name. It's the highest name in the universe because of Calvary. And when you study those scriptures, it kind of sounds like he's speaking about it to another person. But he's, he has to do that because he's in a servant role. He has to give glory to that invisible spirit. But after Calvary... He shows them plainly the Father. And something has happened with His name that was not a reality before His death. Okay, Philippians 2. Watch. Praise God. Glory to God. Now look at verse 5. Watch this. This is what Paul says. 
Let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. So when he came, he was God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was God in the flesh. But he operated as a servant. Hallelujah. If you will, the son of the king in his humanity. He operated as the son of the king and as the servant of the father. Are y'all here today? In his humanity. Watch what happens. So he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of what? Men. Okay? And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you see it? Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Because of what he did at Calvary, because his death on the cross, now God, he's God, but as a man, he has exalted him. The exaltation of the man Christ Jesus after Calvary. He has exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. What is it? Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just Lord in his deity. He's Lord in his humanity. He has dominion and authority in both realms. The invisible heaven and the visible earth. He is Lord even in His humanity because of His death. God hath highly exalted Him, elevated Him, and given Him a name which is above every name because He went to the cross, because He was obedient even to the death of the cross, because He humbled Himself, are y'all with me, and became a servant, yet He was God. So as that humble Jesus, that man, that obedient man to the Father. He walked through the earth. He's always pointing to the Father as the servant. But after his death now, he is highly exalted. And he's given a name which is above every name. That Are y'all here tonight? Something has happened after Calvary. Look at his name now. And because of that, go and preach it. Because of that, go and preach His death, burial, and resurrection. Because of that, go and preach baptism in Jesus' name. Because of that, pray in the name of Jesus. Because of that, now you can cast out devils in His name. And when you see Him, you know plainly, now, that's God. Say amen. Alright. Read a little bit further here. Verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow things in heaven things in the earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Give the Lord praise. Now he's receiving worship. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Okay, let's go back to John. (coughs) 
So now we operate as the Calvary in a way that they didn't operate before Calvary. Because he shed his blood, his blood is in his name. Now we baptize in his name. Because his name is above every name. Now we pray in his name. We preach it. Now watch. So go to 24, 16, 24. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I will show you plainly the Father. Now when you get to the 17th chapter, remember, you're still before Calvary. But he's telling them what it's going to be like after Calvary and because of his death. Okay? Something's going to change. Now look at 17.1. These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. He said, he said the hour has now come. It's time for me to receive glory. See, up to this point, he's been glorifying the Father. That's in him, of course. I keep pointing off like this. But I'm trying to illustrate to you the point that people thought the Father was somewhere else. But the, he was the Father. The Father was in him. That eternal, invisible spirit was inside of him. But he kept making, making references to the Father and glorifying the Father. But he says, now the hour is come. Glorify the Son. When does that happen? His death and resurrection and ascension. Are y'all with me now? It's time for him to be glorified. Verse 2. Thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Oh, watch this. Now he says the Father has given him who? Those that will experience eternal life. He says the Father has given him. Watch this. Only a subordinate can receive from the greater. He is not subordinate being a lesser God. He is subordinate being a man. So as a man, he's less than the Father. But he is the Father. Are y'all with me? So, the eternal Spirit of God that is in him, the Father, is greater than the Son. It's not a lesser God receiving something from a greater God. It is, are y'all with me? He is God. The only subordination in this is that he's a man. And as a man, he's less than the Father. And as a man, he's receiving from the Father. Does that make sense? Give God praise. Verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. See, he's back in that, in that mode because they're still before Calvary. I have glorified thee on the earth. Look at that. He said, everything I've done on the earth is to glorify thee. Wait, it sounds like he's talking to somebody else. No, he is the Father. But he's back in that parable mode. That, pro, that veiled language mode. That figurative language mode. Give God praise in the house. Because at this point, in 17, it's before Calvary. I've glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify thou me. 
with, the, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was, when he was God. Are y'all hearing me now? So he's saying, it's time now. I'm moving to that hour. I'm going to be glorified. But at this point, I've been giving all the glory to that invisible spirit. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yeah. See, unless you're his disciple, unless you really want to know the truth, you're going to be tripped up by all kinds of philosophies and false doctrines called the doctrine of the Trinity, three separate persons, because they don't understand that he was speaking to them in Proverbs, veiled language. He was walking as a servant, a humble. But after Calvary, his name is above every name. It's the highest name in the universe. Give God praise in the house. Verse 6, I have manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So we're getting John 17, Lord willing, next week. Amen. But I just want to show you that 17 is also before Calvary. <laughs> and he's talking about that hour that's going to come where he's going to start receiving glory. That beautiful. Let's see what the disciples did. You want to see what they did? Let's see how they preach. You want to do that? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. After Calvary, after his death, what the cross produced. What did they preach? Acts 2.14. Are they going to go throughout the whole world and preach that gospel? What do you think? See, even something's going to change in them as well. Because when he is going to be taken in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tells them, he asked them a question. He said, do you believe? Now do you believe? He said, no, you'll be scattered. You're going to leave me too. After everything I've told you, he said, do you believe? He said, no, you're going to scatter too. Are y'all here with me right now? He prophesies to them. But after Calvary, when they look at him face to face, the one they saw nailed to a cross, the one they saw suffer and go into tremendous agony on that cross. When they see him on the third day risen from the dead, that same one that went into that cold sepulcher come out and look at them face to face. The one who had conquered death by resurrection power on the third day. They start rejoicing. And then on the day of Pentecost, they receive the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Ghost. So now something has changed in them. They are no longer cowards. Run it. They are anointed. They are powerful men of God. Unafraid. Unmoved. Because of the anointing. Something's changed in them now. Now watch. This is after Calvary. So look at verse 14. But Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit. Really, it's I will pour out my spirit 
whose spirit's been poured out. Jesus sent a fourth thing. Chad said, I'm coming to you. He was speaking in parables. You understand? Okay, anyway. It's going to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth. Beneath blood, fire, vapor, smoke, the sun shall be turned into blood. Uh, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. Now, see how he, he brings that finished work of Calvary's death, burial, and resurrection. He brings that and connects it to the end time events that will come before his second coming. Why are y'all going to sleep on me? Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. You better get it while you can. I said, you better get it while you can. You better hear me what I, you better hear what I'm telling you while you can get it. You better receive it while you can. Would you give God praise tonight for His Word? Watch this. It shall come to pass, verse 21. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. There's His name again after Calvary. You men of Israel hear these words. Gee, oh, here He goes. He's going to start preaching. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourself also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. They're preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're preaching that gospel. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains. Literally, it should be the pains. P-A-N-G. The pains of death. Birth pains like coming out of the womb of a woman in birth. Whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that it should be holding of it. Same promise to you. For you. Okay. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Or also my flesh shall rest in hope. Woo, glory to God. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of, this, of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Wherefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Look at that. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. <sighs> that phraseology. And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He has shed forth this which you now see and hear. You know why it's phrased like that? That He's received from the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost? Because of subordination. That He as a man is not as great as... His godness. 
he's telling them, having received of the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. He's letting them know that the spirit you are receiving is the spirit of God. Are you here with me right now? Give God praise in the house. It's not just the spirit of a man. That's what he's trying to get you to see. When you receive this spirit, it's the spirit of God. He's still as a man subordinate to that spirit. That's why he talks like that. Having received of the, of the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. He's speaking as a man here. He's focusing on the, the, the greatness of God. That the spirit that you receive is the spirit of God. That's why he says it like that. Hallelujah to the Lamb. For David is not ascended in heaven, verse 34, but he saith unto himself, The Lord saith unto my Lord, Sit thou in my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, that all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He reigns in heaven and he reigns in earth. Come on, somebody. God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he's not just Lord in his deity, he's Lord in his humanity by virtue of what he did on the cross. And they are preaching the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Now we're not done yet. The Lordship, Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Conviction came on them. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now the name is being used to remit sins because His blood is in His name. I told you before, hundreds of babies were named Jesus. But Jesus of Nazareth, the one who died on that cross, His name, He's the one. Because His blood is in His name now. You're going to remit sin. That, that never happened before Calvary. There's something that's happened to the name. It's exalted. It's elevated. And they're preaching it everywhere they go. They're declaring He's reigning in both realms. He's the Lord and He is Christ. Both realms. He's the ruler of the universe. He's the highest being in the universe. By virtue of what He did on the cross now, your sins will be remitted in the name of Jesus. These apostates, these heretics who have departed from baptism in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, you better wake up, my friend. You better wake up, church. Because they have departed from the very center and the very heart of the gospel message that Jesus has called us to go therefore and preach it. Oh Jesus, they are being overrun by spirit to this age. There is a spirit of apostasy that is moving within the church right now. Don't let it get a hold of you. Continue to exalt the name of Jesus. Worship Him. He is the God man. He has the one, he is the one who has redeemed us by his blood. We are, because of that, supposed to go and preach his death, his burial, his resurrection, his exaltation, and his name. 
And you look at me with your little self-righteous self and act like you know everything about what I'm telling you. Why aren't we doing it then? If we understood the power and the authority that's in the name of Jesus, we would not be backslid carnal tonight. We would be on fire. And I said we, because I'm partly to blame for this. I'm telling you now, if I really believed it like I should believe it, we would shake Odessa, Texas with the gospel message. Yes, we would. Yes, we would. Yes, we would. But we're not doing what we're supposed to do. I said we. We are distracted by so many things. And Lord, help us tonight that we're not distracted even by the tribulation period. God didn't tell us to be distracted by the tribulation period. He didn't tell us to worry about the tribulation period. He said you're going to go through persecution, but go and preach. Go ye therefore and declare I have power and authority in both realms. I will tell you this. It is my concern in this hour that we're more concerned about accumulating food and water than we are accumulating souls. It's all right, but let that be way down the list of priority. Your gathering of food. What we should be doing is gathering souls in the kingdom of God. That is all way down the list. Well, I'm worried about the tribulation period. Stop talking about that and get busy serving God. Get busy winning souls. It's going to come and it's going to go. And if you have to follow Him all the way to the grave, because He rose from the dead, He's going to bring us up out of the grave as well. If we die for Him, I'm just hearing that in the Holy Ghost. I'm a little bit concerned. I do believe that God wants us to prepare like the ant. But that cannot be your focus. The focus is not the tribulation period. The focus is the revelation of Jesus Christ. God, shake us. Shake me, God. Shake me. These apostles, when they went forth and preached, look at what they went through to preach, to preach the gospel. The suffering they went through. And look at us. We're feeling sorry for ourselves. Why? 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 I tell you tonight, the problem is not that we are persecuted. The problem is there is a spirit of apostasy that's gripping our hearts. You, you don't have to believe me, but I believe it tonight. That's the problem. It's not because we don't have enough food. It's not because we're in the tribulation period. It's because we're not walking with Jesus Christ the way we're supposed to. Those apostles shook the world. And they were persecuted everywhere they went. Jesus told them they would. And I, when I preach like this, I'm not jumping on you. I'm jumping on me. I said, I'm jumping on me. And they preached it. They preached it. They preached it. They preached it. They preached His Lordship, His exaltation. He rules and reigns tonight. I tell you, Obama is not the reigning king of the universe. Jesus is the reigning king of the universe. Your boss is not Messiah. Jesus is Messiah. Your pastor is not your Messiah. Jesus is your Messiah. He told us it was coming. He said we're going to go through sorrow and suffering. He told us it was. It's going to be like birth pains. What travail? What suffering? What agony? He told us. We said, get ready. 
The joy is coming. The joy is coming. It's coming and you're going to forget the pain you went through. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Give God praise in this house. I said give God praise in this house. Give God praise in this house. Who is there among us that will not worship Him? Who is there among us that will not worship Him? In the name of Jesus, I charge you in the name of Jesus to worship Him. I charge you in the name of Jesus to be delivered from the spirit of this age. I charge you in the name of Jesus. be free from your envy and from your jealous spirit. I charge you to be delivered from that jealousy. Some of you are consumed with the spirit of jealousy and envy. Nothing can happen to your brothers and sisters. They can't wear anything, do anything without you sitting there critiquing them. Be rid of that spirit. In the name of Jesus. Get rid of your selfishness. And exalt the one who is the only one worthy to be praised. Exalt. Be zealous for him. Be on fire for him. In case you don't know it. He's pouring out the Holy Ghost. There is a spirit of this age that's taken over. It's a spirit of apostasy. But the Holy Ghost is still being poured out right now. He's still empowering. He's still giving authority to His disciples. Give the Lord praise in the house. So, Peter preaches his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. But he doesn't stop there. That's what I want you to see. He does not stop there. Every church in America, well, not all of them. There's some churches that don't, but I would say mainline denominational systems of the world have a church. They'll preach the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. But they stopped short of what he told them to do. He said, go tell everybody I've got authority in both realms, the invisible and the visible realm. And everybody you tell that, he said, baptize them in that name. For the remission of sins. Because something has been provided at my death. Hallelujah. Jesus, I worship you. I worship you. I refuse in the name of Jesus. You are an apostolic church. You are a Jesus name church. You are a one God church. You are empowered by His Spirit. We are not to act like a dead denominal church. We are connected to Him. And in His name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, His name, His name connects both realms, heaven and earth. His name connects the invisible and the visible his name the name of Jesus is the highest name in the universe there is no being in the universe that operates in that realm 
He is supreme. So now, if you want to see God, you look at Jesus. If you want to see the Father, look at Jesus. He's showing you plainly the Father now. It's not a riddle. It is not veiled language. Look at Jesus if you want to see God. Look at Jesus if you want to see the Father. Something has happened after Calvary. Yeah, they're going to be heartbroken because they see him die. But when he comes out of the grave and they look at him eyeball to eyeball, that body that went through the suffering of death and came out on the other side, it changed them. And they remember what he said about the power and authority he'd walk in and about the name of Jesus Christ. But now, they would ask in the name of Jesus and they would see miracles, signs, and wonders. When they laid hands on the sick and prayed in the name of Jesus, they would see the sign. They were relying on Jesus while he was with them to cast out devils and to heal the sick, to heal the blind. But now, in the name of Jesus, same thing started happening in and through them by the power of God that they saw happen in Jesus. Same works. Same message. What was changed was that the name was highly exalted. The name which is above every name. And with many other words that he testified and exhorted, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. <clears throat> and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor all with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Give God praise in the house. So now you understand what he was telling them here. He says... Verse 24, John 16, Here through have you asked nothing in my name? Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken to you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray to the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you. He's, he's, he's him. He's him. He is the Father. Are you here? You're just going to ask in my name. That's what Jesus is saying here. For the Father himself loveth you because you have loved me. Because he's the Father. And have believed that I came out from God as a man. I came forth from the Father and I've come into the world. And again, I leave the world and go into the Father. I'm fixing to move into a realm of union with the Father like I had before. Are y'all with me today? Give God praise in the house. He said, I'm going to operate as the Father. Hallelujah to the Lamb. It's going to be different from the way you have seen me as a humble, lowly servant. After Calvary. Are y'all with me right now? Ooh, give God praise in this house. 
He's going to, as a man, enter into a union with the Father on a greater level than what he was when he was on the earth. Verse 29. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee? But this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Did they confess, Yeah, we believe you came from God. You know? As a man, he came from God as a man. He's not talking about, if you're God, how do you come from God if you're God? You come from God if you're as, as a man here. Praise the Lord. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh. Yea, it is now come. But you shall be scattered, every man, to his own, and shall leave me alone. Just like the prophet Zechariah said. That the shepherd would be smitten and the sheep would be scattered. The prophet Zechariah said it was coming. Jesus is looking at them. He's telling them. It's already in prophecy. Do you believe? You say you believe. He said, but you're going to leave me. You're going to leave me. You're going to scatter when the shepherd is smitten. You know the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So you can all leave. He said, but I'm not alone. Because the Father is with me. How? He's inside of you. He's inside of you. Father's not going to even in his, even when he's in the grave, in the sepulcher, God did not leave him. When he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He never, God never left him. Never. He felt that because of the sin that he was dying for. But he was still God in the grave. I said he was God in the grave. Which means God never left him. Because if God left him in the grave, that means he would have ceased being God. But because he never ceased being God, even when he was in the grave as a man, he was still God. Did you catch what I said? Because if God left him in that grave, he would have ceased being God. He never ceased being God. He was God even when he was laying in that grave. So he's telling the disciples, yeah, you're all going to leave. And you're going to go to your own. But I'm not alone. Because the Father is with me. Isn't that awesome? He could walk in that. He could walk in that. Man. No, God was not going to forsake him as the man, Christ Jesus. God didn't die on the cross, but God in sonship died on the cross. The humanity of Jesus died on that cross, but God never left him. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Give God praise in the house. Verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in ye, in me you might have peace. I told you all this. In me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. It's coming. It's coming. Persecution's coming. He said, but I'm telling you all this so you'll have peace when you're born through it. And that you'll be filled with joy. Hallelujah. That you'll walk in commandments that need to be obeyed. 
that you submit to love. That you will embrace peace and experience joy even though you're in the midst of this world. In the midst of tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. So he's leaving them an example. I'm telling you again. He's leaving them an example of what they are to do because of Calvary. What has happened in Calvary. What they are to preach when they go forth. They're surrounded by opposition, antagonism, and tribulation. He said, but walk in my peace and be of good cheer. Because he says, I have overcome the world. And if you and I will walk in faith, we will be able to overcome the world. Please forgive me, but my great concern tonight is not the world. My great concern tonight is are you an overcomer? Am I an overcomer? That's the concern tonight. The world is not persecuting me right now. My sorrow and my grief is coming as a result of are we overcomers? Give God praise in the house. Exalt His holy name. He is worthy to be praised.